All right, howlers, let's get howling. But first, a couple quick warnings. First warning, this podcast contains adult content. Don't be a pixie. Second warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the entire Red Rising saga. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy, email howlerpod at gmail.com. Visit us at www.howlerpod.com and rate and review us five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, we will give you a sedative and then you'll miss the fucking party and you'll be really pissed about it. And now, howlerpod. Oh! Friendships take minutes to make, moments to break, years to repair. Hello, Howlers. Welcome to HowlerPod, the one and only podcast for all things Red Rising, where every episode we dive deep to break down, celebrate, and discuss all aspects of the fantastic Red Rising saga. Bye. Howler number one, Pierce Brown. Yes, Queen. I'm your host, Ben Reinert. I am joined today, as always, by the amazing Aaron Ayers. Hello, Howlers. It's character study time, guys. Who will enter the passage tonight? The passage of our in-depth scrutiny and judgment. Will they rise above the rest and be crowned prime? Or will they fall short and be disgraced henceforth? As a pixie. Most definitely. Who are we studying today? The poet. Roka butt-sucking Fabii. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Wait, he doesn't get an air horn. His air horn's like, pew, pew, pew. <laughs> yeah, he gets booze. All right, let's load up this star shell and shoot straight into our character backgrounds. Hopefully we don't shit our suits or kill ourselves. Rokoff Fabii is a gold and the imp- imperator of the Sword Armada. He is described as leaner and shorter than the typical Oriat and has high cheekbones and hair the color of wheat. So he's like definitely not gold gold. He's like dirty gold. Hair the color of wheat would indicate, yeah, not like pure gold hair. He needs highlights. He needs some bleach, bleach bond. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) He needs something. (laughs) Roke is calm. He is known for his quiet and contemplative nature as well as his composure under pressure. He's a poet, like we said, and he will use poetry to make his points, even if you don't care. (laughs) And he'll let you know how much smarter he is than you. Roke wasn't raised with no data drops. He spent real time with real teachers... Talking about philosophy and art and who the fuck cares. He just wants you to know about it. Ugh. What a snob. I roll roke. Real teachers. Like, what? Are, we don't even have those anymore. Who cares? All we have now is Zoom teachers. <laughs> Under that calm, cool, collected, and thoughtful outward appearance, he is said to harbor a deep anger underneath. This is the reason he ended up in House Mars and also why he's capable of using extreme prejudice when trying to defeat his enemies. He's a loyal friend, until he's not, forging deep bonds with those he cares about. He's also a lover and deeply romantic, resulting in multiple heartbreaks due to deaths and betrayal. And oh yeah, he's also a space racist. Boo! Rook fully believes in the superiority of the golds, and while he is not outwardly a dickhead to low colors he has little sympathy for the fact that they are slaves he believes golds have the right to be above them plain and simple even you <laughs> what an asshole uh, yes <laughs> you own me <laughs> like what <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> that's why i opened the door So Roke's analytical and thoughtful nature makes him a real bitch to fight against, meaning he's good at it, um, in any space battle. He is just a space battle god at this point. He's the leader of Octavia's fleet. He's earned the nickname the Poet of Demos with his battlefield tactics during the Lion's Reign. 
Roke is described by Darrow at one point as what a gold should be, uninhibited by greed, lust, or cruelty. Roke is at his core what golds were meant to be. Roke has some sympathy and understanding for the low colors, but at the same time, he is willing to rule with an iron fist and no mercy. No mercy. Is that like a wrestling thing? No mercy. Is that like Hulk Hogan? No. No. Tight. <laughs> I'm really He's more uh, of like a, like eat your vegetables and take your vitamins type guy. Oh. Yeah. Must stay in school. That's nice. And then he says racist stuff too. He's a, he is kind of oh, like Roke. He is. <laughs> Roke is like the Hulk Hogan of space. <laughs> Except smaller. <laughs> and not as blonde. <laughs> So Roke started as one of Darrow's best friends, and he shared a brotherly bond with both he and Cassius during their time in the Institute. After Darrow's victory in the Institute, Roke follows him to the Academy for some space battles. Pew, pew, pew. That was my air horn space battle. (laughs) After their time at the Academy and during the civil war that Darrow causes, Roke and Darrow develop a rift in their relationship. Darrow does some weird shit on the night of the gala gala, a.k.a. making him fall asleep so he can't attend the party. Saving his life. Saving his fucking life. You're welcome, Roke. (laughs) Quinn then dies, which Roke could not have prevented. Maybe, probably. Also, the jackal had a big part in her dying, too. Yeah, it's the jackal's fault. And the lion rain, the lion's rain falls and Darrow triumphs. But... Roke is alienated in the process. He loses faith in his best friend, mostly because of Quinn, but also shit like being left out of the plans and because he was asleep. Boo-hoo, Roke. (laughs) You weren't there to die. Sorry. Grow up, Peter Pan. You guys (laughs) left me out of the party? You didn't invite (laughs) me to the party? And then Roke finds out that Darrow is a red, and he's like, nope, I'm a fucking space racist. You can't be a red. Because I loved you like a brother, and I'm only brothers with golds. Not on my watch. I think he's mostly against Daryl being a red because he's like embarrassed that he didn't know. Oh, that's probably the you way know plays into it. I'm sure. So no self-respecting space racists could ever look themselves in the mirror in the morning if they knew Daryl was a red and didn't do anything about it. So Roke gets to plotting, and ultimately he betrays Darrow to the Jackal in a life of horrible confinement and torture in the table. Which Roke is totally okay with, which is like nobody talks about that as a character flaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this this man, this person, you know, that you love. That and, I cared about and cares about me. And, uh, like, fought for you, and you fought for him. Now he's, like, literally being tortured in a table and you're just like go ahead jackal i mean roke was ready to cut daryl's head off really Mm -hmm. so after daryl's escape thanks to his real friends like ragnar after his escape from the jackal they become enemies on opposite sides of the war roke fights for the society and the space racists daryl leads the rising and the not space racist (laughs) daryl goes on to defeat roke because he's a bitch at the Battle of Ilium, and after realizing Darrow has defeated him, Roke commits poetic suicide <laughs> in despair. And it's very like, okay, yeah, just get out of here. <laughs> like, that's fine. Say your poem. Whatever. And by the way, can I just say, Darrow is like sad that Roke dies because he's a real he's friend. Sad. Yeah. He's a great friend. And the rest of us are like, fucking finally <laughs> get rid of this poet bitch. But we will hear the other side of the story <laughs> in this episode. Have no fear. I think the funny thing is, is if you go back and listen to our Golden Sun podcasts, we have a lot of empathy for Roke throughout those and those podcasts. Uh, Pierce Brown has hardened all of our hearts <laughs> throughout Dark Age. And now we ain't taking no shit. We can't like like the bad guys anymore because there's too many bad guys. That's probably it. Okay, let's check out some historical connections from our amazing researcher, Heather. Heather for the win. Roke can mean both rest and rock. As an introvert, Roke is most introspective and alive when at rest. Something he explicitly states in Golden Sun when complaining to Daryl about Tactus's 
eccentricities. Still, his decision to betray Darrow for the society demonstrates his steadfast support for the current world order, much like an inalterable hunk of stone. Like a rock, he simply wasn't designed to change with the tides, even when flexibility would have saved him. Meanwhile, the surname Fabii has roots in ancient Rome. The gens Fabia was one of the top families from the patrician elite. Like Roque and his family, the Fabii were heavily involved in politics throughout the Roman Republic, producing the fourth greatest number of magistrates, which are like public officials in Rome, uh, behind only the gens Cornelia, Claudia, and Valeria. These public offices made the Fabii one of the most powerful families in Rome. The historical connections I found most striking were the parallels between the Roman dictator Quintus Fabius Maximus and Roque a Fabii. The former gained a name for himself during the Second Punic War when he was tasked with defeating the Carthaginian general Hannibal and his army after the devastating Roman defeats at the battles of Trebia and Lake Trasimene. Recognizing Hannibal's military prowess, Quintus Fabius Maximus simply delayed major combat. Instead, splintering his troops into smaller cohorts to harass the enemy from the shadows and wear them down by attrition. Bit by bit, the Carthaginian forces dwindled and unable to resupply due to the guerrilla tactics adopted by the Romans were ultimately defeated at the Battle of Zama. One could argue that Rocafabii practiced the strategy of delay by waiting to ambush Darrow at the Triumph and then allowing the Jackal to stretch out Darrow's box torture. Furthermore, as an Imperator, Roque used his smaller forces as an advantage to take control of more numerous enemy ships during the Iron Reign and Golden Sun. However, I'd argue that Daryl ultimately wins out Morningstar because he masters the Fabian strategy and uses it against his old friend, once superior in, uh, in space on account of his humility and adaptability, but who became so confident that he abandoned the merit of agility and surprise in battle. Interesting. Roke's success stemmed from the same strategy that led to his downfall. That level of irony strikes completely of Pierce Brown, especially with the nominal Fabii connections. I'm not sure if any of these illusions were intentional, but they definitely seem fitting to me. Same. <laughs> were you just about to say all of that? I Yeah, I actually, word for word. <laughs> I was like, whoa, she's like in my head. <laughs> You're a big fan of Hannibal, right? For us? <laughs> um, yes, those are really cool um, historical connections. I love the idea of Roke being a rock because it's his inability to change throughout the course of the story that really leads to his downfall. And I think that just perfectly plays into those historical connections that Heather brought up along with just kind of the meaning of his name in the first place. Well done, Heather. Thank you so much. Let's move on to our next segment, character legacy. We're skipping this section, actually. Oh, because he's just, he's a poet and he's the, the, he is what gold was and what can no longer be. <laughs> and his legacy is, uh, fuck you. <laughs> Space racist, you're done here. The reason that we are skipping this section is we have a lot of listener emails and participation this week. So we want to talk about uh, Rogue's legacy using those uh, email and your guys' discussion. So we don't even really need to do this. But I do think it is important to um, talk just quickly about Rogue's legacy as far as with the fans because I think there are basically two ways people see Rogue. They kind of identify with him a little bit and he's like a noble tragic figure kind of led astray by the world that he believes in um and he was raised to uphold or you kind of see him you know as a space race space racist punk bitch and that's kind of <laughs> where we're we're in that second call <laughs> <laughs> we have columns we're in the second column. We're in I, the he sucks column. I, too, used to really love Roke. The first time I read these books, I really did like him a lot. And I but felt bad for him when he, when he died. But, yeah, my heart has hardened over the years. Thanks, Pierce. 
We have no sympathy left. So that takes us to our next section, which is where are they now? Where did they go from here? Uh, and that's dead. Dead. Good riddance. Death. All right. That brings us to our prime five, our top five best character moments for Roke Up Butt Sucking Fabii. Let's start with number five. Now oh, we're, ca- we're counting down today. Yes, we're counting down today. Oh, I see. Our number five best moment for Roke. So Roke has a lot of like good, he's got, he's a spicy quote man. He's the quote guy. He's the yeah, poet. He's got a lot of, a lot of good things to say. And, um, but you know who outpoets him? Who? Severo? Abelonius. Uh, <laughs> he, he outpoets the poet. Wow. You're right. With like the fancy that. speak. Yeah. Okay. Back to the original poet. So our number five moment is the moment that Darrow and Roke's kind of friendship is established and solidified. It's right after the passage. It's right after they both murder children. Yeah, they both murdered another teenager. And they're like, this is tough. Darrow's having a tough time with it. Roke is having a tough time with it. And he says to Darrow, if you are thrown into the deep and do not swim, you will drown. So keep swimming, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, <laughs> swimming, swimming. He's like, you've seen Finding Nemo too? It's very Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> of you. And then they bond over the relationship between Nemo and his father throughout the the movie. That's the stuff you don't see. That's on the off. Yeah, Pierce actually, that was like something that (laughs) the editor cut out, but Pierce really liked that part. (laughs) Darrow, Roke, huge Finding Nemo fans, both of them. So that was number five. That's when we're like, whoa, that's a really nice guy amidst all these like snotty assholes in the passage. Mm. I mean, in the Institute and the passage. (laughs) Let's go on to the number four moment for Roke off Bobby I. Uh, this is right before the gala gala. He and Darrow are, you know, having a bro conversation. In the in the room. In the room together. And Roke's like, you know what, man? I got you. I got you. I'm going to purchase your contract or whatever. Because, yeah, Darrow's worried about losing his favor. His place, yes. Uh, and, and being out on his own. Right. And Roke says to him, you're my dearest friend. No matter what transpired, I will protect you as surely as you would protect me if I ever needed it. And that's when Daryl says to him, you're a good man, Roke. Too good for your color, or whatever he says. Or despite your color. Yeah, a better man than your color. And Roke's like, like what? <laughs> 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 Wait, what? And then he gets a needle to the neck, and then he's like, <gasps> scared dog. And Daryl, that's... That's Daryl giving himself away because (laughs) Daryl thinks he's about to blow himself up. Yep. This is back when, like, those first two moments, Roke, legit good guy. Oh, yeah. I like this dude. He says, keep swimming and you're my dearest friend. Yeah. Duh. He's not not afraid to be vulnerable and say, I'm your friend and I love you, Daryl. And then, wait, but wait, Morningstar. (laughs) I'm jumping all the way to the end here. (laughs) Number three moment. This is when Roke dies, by the way. I'm jumping forward. First off, the friendship has changed here. We just said that Roke was such a great guy. Well, guess what Roke says here? He says, there is no place for me in your world. We were brothers, but I would kill you if only I had the power. Dude, that's cold. Wow. Can you imagine like your friend saying that to you? Like, damn. He's not even apologetic at all. And then still, Darrow is still not a dick. Darrow says to Roke, keep swimming, my friend. He's like, remember when we used to watch Finding Nemo? Remember those (laughs) late nights watching those little clownfish (laughs) who aren't funny? And uh, then Roke wraps his razor around his neck, and he has this end-of-life poetry again. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Because he's long-winded. <laughs> They're like, okay, just do it. <laughs> but he says, I am the star in the night sky. I am the blade in the twilight. I am the God, the glory. I am the gold. I am the gold. And then he cuts his head off. He's steadfast to the very end. 
The, that whole poem by I'm the star in the night sky, that's a song, right? I have no idea. No, but like, I know that song. It also, it like reminds me of Katy Perry. Mm. Baby, mm-hmm. you're a firework. And then she cuts her head off. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Do you think he was listening to that right before the Beethoven song that he was listening to uh, when he died? Yeah, I think he's a man of <laughs> many tastes. <laughs> no, he's not. All right, that's. Prime five, number three, kills himself. Uh, okay, that takes us to number four on the list. And this is when we get to see that Roke Wrath that we were talking about earlier. We really see the house Mars in him. And he's talking to Romulus, and he's pissed because Romulus is about to ally with Darrow. And he's like, bad move, bro. And he says... If you betray your color, the compact, the society, which is what this will be, Ilium will burn. I will acquaint you with ruin. I will hunt down every person you have ever known, and I will exterminate their seed from the world. I will do so with a heavy heart, but I am a man of Mars, a man of war, so know my wrath will be unending. Dang. That's a bar right there. Good job, Broke. That's a mic drop. Yeah, for sure. And then Darrow picks up the mic and he's like, but wait. <laughs> actually. That's actually a pretty badass moment by Roke. I love that speech from him. He's doing good. He's keeping the drama alive. Yeah. Like, we're, we're keeping the passion. I love that he says, I'll do it with a heavy heart, but I'm still like, going to murder feel, your entire family. I'm going to feel bad, <laughs> but you're going to be dead. <laughs> like, sorry about it. Next up, Prime Five. <laughs> it's my dig in a box. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Fitchner's head. Um, so this is the whole Judas moment. The whole um, Judas meaning the guy who betrayed Jesus before he got hung up on a cross. So this is the whole, you're betraying your friend to the, the bad people. Mm-hmm. So um, this is... Uh, Roke's Judas moment, same thing. He kisses Darrow on the cheek, which is a sign of friendship. Super sneaky. And he whispers, Roke whispers to Darrow, and thus go liars with a bloody damn kiss. And Darrow's like, he said bloody damn. (laughs) Fuck, 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 fuck. (laughs) He's like, go, go, go. He knows. So that's the moment that we know that Roke knows and we're like oh we're at the triumph in a quiet little peaceful moment uh pierce doesn't give us nice little garden moments without something horrible happening we learned that in the first garden in the mine you can't just have a garden moment and have nothing go wrong for gardens don't go to gardens also didn't daryl get peed on in a garden kind of well yeah yeah he got like beat up and yeah don't don't go to gardens guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whatever you do. Also, the worst part about that is when you're reading that book, especially like when I was reading it the first time, Morningstar was not out yet. And so I was reading it and that's like the second to last page. You know, it's like when you read that, you're like, really? oh, shit. And it's you're like, like, wait, you know that there's not much of the book left. <laughs> so you're just like, <laughs> but wait, you're also having the same reaction that Darrow is. You're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Did you, did you throw the book out the window and lock yourself out of your house? <laughs> uh, I did pace around my room for a long time. I finished this one really late at night, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do also like when he gets like super haughty to Darrow and Darrow's like, brother. And Rogue's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> goes, uh, <laughs> you are a son of red. I, a son of gold. That world where we are brothers is lost. Dang. That's mean. He is a mean That's a guy. space racist thing to say. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's true. No, no. No. He goes, no, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. That was our number one Roke moment. Do you guys think there's a better one? I don't think so. I think that they're all great, especially the one where he kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that 
Roke couldn't like a lot of bad guys that get kept around you're like oh they could have redemption they could turn like even Lysander we're like well maybe he'll switch sides like he's so smart maybe he'll you know be someone we need him to be Roke was like way too committed to his pride and to like never ever changing his He's just incapable. Way of thinking. Yeah. So, like, Roke had to go. We couldn't have kept him at prisoner and, like, changed him without the pandemonium chair. <laughs> right. And we are about to move on to Primer Pixie here. There were a lot of people that made cases for Roke. I think a big uh, part of that was they just have a lot more faith in Roke. And they're giving him the benefit of the doubt a lot more than, say, like you or I do. Um, and I'm not sure that Roke has earned that. So we'll talk about that coming up here in Primer Pixie. Did Roke survive the Hallerpod passage of in-depth scrutiny and judgment? Let's find out. Step up to the plate, Roke. And let's let our howlers do all the work for us. <laughs> yes, we had a lot of emails in actually making the case for Roke as Prime. So we'll start with Maggie Mazel. So Maggie says that they figured that most people think of Roke as a pixie and they want to provide arguments for Roke as Prime. Mm-hmm. One of the many things that Maggie loves about this series is that many of the characters are the heroes of their own story. And by the way, I'm reading this from Maggie. Maggie says, Roke, the poet, is a hero. In the words of Darrow, he's the hero who unmasked the Reaper. He demolished the Bologna fleet in that lion's reign. He beat the combined fleet of Argos, Mustang, and the Telemonuses after Darrow's triumph. And as the youngest imperator was appointed to command the Sword Armada, stole a Moonbreaker, and then went undefeated against the Moon Lords, Moonies. <laughs> Dude, I miss the Moon Lords. He's unbeaten in space until the Red Messiah rose from the grave for the fifth <laughs> time or a hundred. I like that, the Red Messiah. The Red Messiah. <laughs> so just so we're clear, Roke didn't lose the Battle of Ilium. Interesting. And Antonia did when she abandoned her post and retreated like a pixie. Fair she, point. She did. That's true. He only lost his ship because Red Messiah had thousands of obsidians, which Daryl readily admits. Also, the only way Daryl, Victra, and Sefi were able to access able to access the bridge is because a pink his slave by the way Aaron <laughs> inserting her opinion <laughs> opened the door for them Roke was undefeated in tens if not hundreds of battles he was better than everyone in space until he went against the series protagonist also true Show me someone with a better record this is his fighting record though this isn't like <laughs> This isn't him as like a good person. Are we, but it, this is a good question, Ben. Are we saying Primer Pixie, like their their resume or like their racism? See, <laughs> I think Primer Pixie is whatever it means to you. So I choose Primer Pixie on the things that matter to me. Same with you. If, if Maggie thinks it's because he's a great space commander that he should be Prime, then hey, hey. maybe he's Prime. But I will fight back on one point here. She says, also the only way Daryl, Victor, and Sefi were able to access the bridge is because a pink opened the door for them. That pink was there because Roke stupidly thought that pink was in love with him. Yeah. And so that that's he a thought mistake on he, his part. Roke thought that a pink <laughs> slave, his sex slave, <laughs> yeah. had like, uh, like actual love for him. He believed that he was so different that his slave... But she's him. she's a sex slave. <laughs> she is she is not free to leave. That is a level of delusion that you do not want in people you hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> so Maggie goes on to say, if none of that convinces you, here are some quotes. Romulus says Imperator Fabii is effective with the dots ahead of it. 
Cassius says, Romulus can't match Roke. You know how good he is. Ragnar, he's undefeated in battle. He is very dangerous. Darrow, Roke is a prodigy at space battle. At it. He even admits that Orion and Roke are better in space than he is. This quote is in Golden Sun, and it's one of the greatest and most underrated compliments in the series because in Dark Age, Darrow refers to Orion as a myth. Imagine anyone being referred to as a myth. In the space battle after Darrow's triumph, wasn't Orion in charge of the Pax? Roke won against Orion in that battle. Even Severo recognized how good he was. Uh, Severo says he's good at three things. Whining, stabbing people in the back, (laughs) and destroying fleets. But see, Ben and I... (laughs) We're stuck on those first two parts. He's a whiner and he stabs people in the back. I don't care if he wins a fleet or destroys the fleet. He's still a pixie. Okay, mm-hmm. wait. That that wasn't Maggie. That was me. Maggie says, most hate Roke for betraying Darrow, but Darrow betrayed Roke first when he poisoned him. He didn't poison him. He gave him sleepy juice. Yeah, it was like a tranquilizer. He <laughs> gave him an Ambien. Yeah. And that's why Roke sent some weird tweets, but like, <laughs> it's not Darrow's fault. Roke blames Darrow for Quinn's death. Although this isn't explicitly stated in the books, he likely knows that Darrow hid while Leah's throat was cut by Antonia. What the fuck was he supposed to do, Maggie? (laughs) Roke has access to the vids of the Institute. And of course, watch what happened to Leah. Roke says that Darrow's soul is black. And even Darrow confirms in Tinos after he was rescued that if he wasn't in the box, there would be a lot of people in the room who would be dead. Maggie says, everyone loves Lorne, Honorable Lorne of the Willoway, who just wants to retire from the society. We remember Lorne fondly because he was killed before he found out who Darrow really was. Darrow knows that Lorne would have cut his heart out if he found out. Roke is no different. Even Darrow understands that how he feels and says his only sin was loving his people, meaning Gold. Not sure that's his only sin. I think he has other sins. <laughs> Tara's being a little kind there. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anyone would have lived in peace, it was Roke with slavery. <laughs> but his closest friend, a man he called brother, betrayed him and brought him war. Once he was betrayed, Roke had no choice but to keep swimming. In Red Rising Universe, winning battles is the name of the game. Don't blame Roke for being good at it. Wow. I like it, Maggie. Great email. Thank you. Sorry I was fighting with you while I was reading. (laughs) Okay, there's one for Roke is Prime. I've got another email here from um, one of our listeners. And he wanted to remain anonymous. So I'm just going to give him a fake name. It's Mick Shindelo. <laughs> He's definitely <laughs> not from, you know, the UK. Or He was just, I think he was a little scared to defend Roke. He should be. <laughs> um, okay, so he... Mick. He <laughs> so Mick... Starts with, Roke is often considered a pixie due to his lack of fighting ability and his betrayal of his friends. However, I think a lot of this argument rests on uh, conception of terms. So he goes on to explain, the first thought is, Roke is a poor fighter. But like we've talked about and like Mick brings up, Roke is quite the killer. He fundamentally, yes, physical battle is not his area of expertise, but his skill is astral warfare, and in this, he is one of the most formidable commanders anywhere. Maggie would like this. Ultimately, Mag- Maggie and Mick. <laughs> ultimately, he's only defeated at the Battle of Ilium when Darrow fights as a red, not using gold strategies. So I think Maggie made the case, and Mick supplements it here. Roke is a formidable fighter, definitely. Okay. Our next point is Roke is disloyal. This is more complex. Yes, he does betray his friends. However, one way we could redeem the character of Roke is to think more carefully about where his true loyalty lies. Roke loves deeply. However, his love seems to be more abstracted. He grew up a lonely child, so his emotional attachments seem to be predicated on what concepts his social connections prompt in him. Leia seemed to represent an aesthetic ideal. Mustang represented an attachment to art and culture. 
Tactus represented the possibility of continual redemption and improvement. Darrow, and to an extent, Cassius embodied his iron gold ancestors. In a sense, then, his friends weren't real. His true love comes from what they represent. These friends embody themes, much like a reader forming connections with characters in a novel or a poem. This trait can be seen by his lack of attachment to those characters who do not meet this criteria, like Severo. Interesting. Interesting. That's pretty good. So the ultimate expression of Roke's true love is the society, a love mentioned repeatedly. As such, his betrayal of House Bologna and his participation in the Mars Civil War can be attributed to his belief that the rulers of the society were corrupt, not the institution itself. Following Tactus's death and the revelation of Daryl's true identity, he convinced himself that his that this perception was inaccurate, that he had been betrayed. As such, his actions are totally in line with his deepest underlying loyalties. Remember, to him, Darrow is an agent of chaos, chipping away at his one true love. He even says that he cannot watch his world burn and that there's no place for him in Darrow's new world. Indeed, linking his death to Japanese notions of seppuku, seppuku, sure. which is like ritual suicide when they like fall on top of their samurai swords. On the swords. swords. Yes. That sounds painful. We could see it less as a suicide and more as the act of a broken lover following his desire to the grave, an ultimate act of loyalty. For space racism! <laughs> so, yes, he was extremely loyal to For space racism. To the wrong world. Yes. To a very flawed world. Yes. Okay. okay. That's fair. Sure. Sure, Mick, <laughs> if that's even your real name. <laughs> so next up is uh, a four in defense of Roke, one from Jessica Carpenter. Jessica says um, that Roke is all depth, feeling, and earnestness. He's also a product of his conditioning and finds himself unable to turn on everything he's ever known and loved, not an excuse for being a space racist, just an observation. I loved Roke. I would love him still if he was able to find sense and willingness to change. He just got rigid, which always felt a little bit of a conflict in his character for me. I see him as a poet and an artist, so he seemed less likely to be so intransigent. That turn was surprising for me, though, I'm sure... There were signs that I missed, like the force of his ambition, maybe. Thanks for letting me share. Can't wait to hear your take. Thanks, Jessica. So that was like a early Roke love that teetered on not <laughs> loving Roke. <laughs> to, you know, because of his choices. I, c I can agree with that. Right. Okay, we've got one more email for the case for this. I specifically asked for Katiana to email this into me. Um, she took a bunch of time and wrote us a very long email in defense of the poet. I'm not going to read the entire thing here. I'm just going to read a few excerpts, but I will include this in our a link to it in our episode description so that you guys can read it if you want to uh, because it's really great. Katiana and I had like a crazy long back and forth discussion about Roke a few months ago in the Instagram DMs and it was one of the best discussions I've ever had with somebody about Red Rising not including you Aaron oh no you can say that <laughs> you know I don't remember <laughs> shit uh, thank you Katiana for sending this in and so I'll just I'm going to read a few excerpts because she has some really great points so she said Roke is hated because of his betrayal of Darrow. Why did he ultimately turn on the Reaper? His independent discovery of Darrow's true identity as a Red played a part, a secret Darrow kept for years despite calling Roke a brother. Why continue to trust in the man calling himself Darrow Ah Andromedus? Why be inclined to believe Darrow would ever see fit to share the truth with Roke if he hadn't, up to, he hadn't done it up until then? Roke was willing to risk the ire of the two most power fa powerful families of Mars, Augustus and Bologna, by buying out Darrow's insanely expensive Lancer contract to afford Darrow a modicum of protection. Roke loved Darrow, but Darrow did not believe the strength of that love sufficient to keep Roke by his side. 
How could Roke believe differently? Severo himself threatened to leave Darrow forever unless Darrow confessed his true origins. Darrow's best friend would not stand by his side unless gifted the complete unadulterated truth. How could Roke? Fair point. Yeah, but Severo's like way cooler. (laughs) As readers, we have the luxury of being inside Darrow's head, seeing him struggle to make choices to change the lives of billions. Roke didn't. What sacrifices had he seen Darrow make for the cause? Instead, he had the knowledge that the revolution Darrow stood for had already cost blood, would cost oceans more to succeed, and that the cost for establishing a new civilization after the old one had been torn down would cost even more. Perhaps he foresaw Dark Age, thanks to every historical trend ever. (laughs) Maybe Roke could have asked for the why behind Darrow's lies, but some betrayals tear your heart so much there is no logical return. That's a good point. He is of House Mars. You cannot be as rational, empathetic, and trusting as you once were because your perception of the world has fundamentally shifted. Left afloat and unable to trust in his own judgment of others, Roke defaulted to what he knew historically to be the best system for humanity, the society. Having never had cause to examine the society's structure from a personal standpoint, Darrow was the rising, and to Roke, the rising was bloody, treacherous, two-faced, manipulative, and chaotic. Um, So yes, Roke had an overly romantic view of gold and their role in society and perhaps became too adept at accepting subjugation of others' lives in the interest of ultimately shepherding humanity forward but couldn't you say darrow had a romantic view of the rising and their role in society and became adept at accepting subjugation in the lives of others and the interest of ultimately shepherding humanity forward so why is darrow glorified and roke vilified and then she goes on to say how are we defining prime if we mean a more a warrior you'd love to have on your side and hate to have against you the poet of deimos Walked into legend before he was 25. Roke is a peerless scarred. Whatever accusations could be leveled against him, lack of fighting prowess is not one of them. By prime, do we mean somebody whose morals agree with ours as non-space racists? Then is Lorna Arcos a pixie? Romulus Romulus Ara, Kavox Telemannus? No. So then perhaps with Roke, we are simply asking ourselves, does he represent some of the best that humanity has to offer? Does he have traits we admire, or is he represent reprehensible, weak, cowardly, and morally corrupt? Whether or not you believe he belongs to the former category, he certainly does not belong to the latter. His actions were those of somebody who had been blindsided by somebody they loved, who believed a bad cause because they'd been offered no compelling visions of something better, and who fought for the society because they'd seen its strengths and known its weaknesses had never historically been conquerable. He fought well for a wrong cause, and that in itself is not enough to make somebody a pixie. I mean, what does Primer Pixie mean? She's good. It does come down ultimately to what it means to you, but I to would. To me, uh, it's my opinion, so. <laughs> <laughs> he does have train, um, some traits we do admire, I agree, but like he also has a lot of traits that I don't admire in people. I kind of think if he was truly prime, he wouldn't have gone out killing himself with poetry. He would have like tried to kill Darrow and then probably be taken prisoner. But he would have known that Darrow wouldn't torture him. Right. I'm just saying. He does say in his dying words, like, I won't be taken prisoner. And yep. it's like, well, aren't you just kind of backing out then? I'm just trying to fight for the pixie rating. For sure. Yeah. Now we've got to make the case against Roke. Okay. Let's hear from Maddie from New Jersey. Maddie says that he's a character who's definitely interesting and sympathetic, but ultimately unforgivable. I think one of the most intriguing things about his storyline is that it makes you wonder if Darrow had treated him differently in Golden Sun, would he have ended up on the side of the rising? He certainly has a good heart underneath it all, or at least he tries to. But while he had plenty of moments of friendships with Darrow throughout the series, he ultimately proved himself unworthy of the title Prime by piling up too many grave mistakes. I think Victor said it best in Morningstar. Honor? What honor do you think you have? We were your friends and you gave us up. 
not just to be killed, but to be put in boxes, to be electrocuted, burned, tortured night and day for a year. We were your friends. His response, I swore an oath to protect the society, Victra. Not good enough, Roke. Like, the society. <laughs> what is the... If, if he even knew all the shit Octavio was doing... He wouldn't have faith in his little society anymore. Right. As soon as that sense of duty is taken away from him, he, he resorts to suicide. Even though he expresses empathy for Darrow in his final moments, he had still admits that he would try to kill him if he had the strength. That's just one final display of how often he uses those pretty poetic words, but follows through with a disloyal action. He's too loyal to a society that he knows doesn't care about him, too blinded by duty, too easily manipulated, and too much of a backstabber. So he's a pixie. Yeah. The end from Maggie. <laughs> Thank you, Maddie oh, from shit. New Jersey. That thanks, Maddie. Maddie, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we have one more email here for why Roke is a pixie. It's from Cassie. She said, the best thing about Roke is how what how well-written he is. Even when rereading and knowing what a shit he is, I like him in uh, Red Rising and most of Golden Sun. However, suicide because you're a sore loser equals pixie. No <laughs> other arguments required. Cassie's unforgiving. <laughs> okay, now we're going to switch over to the voicemail. We reached out to a couple... Denver Howlers that we had met when we met Pierce Brown. We met this nice couple in Denver when we were meeting Pierce. However, the the dude of the couple <laughs> is a rogue sympathizer. His name's David. And uh, Aaron is my best friend because her name is Aaron. And she hates rogue. <laughs> so imagine being with someone who... Loved Roke. I mean, how could you even... Unbelievable. How could you not murder him in his sleep? Right. Relationships take, you know, a minute to make. Years. Uh, a, <laughs> a, moment, a moment. A moment to break. <laughs> years to repair. <laughs> they do. So let's, let's hear from Aaron and David from Denver on both of their sides of the story here. We're going to start with David. Hey, this is David from Denver, the uh, self-proclaimed Roke fan. I'm um, here to argue my point that Roke isn't as horrible as people make him out to be, which is a pretty hard point to argue. Uh, I need to preface all this by saying, yeah, he's a space racist that is horrible, that is indefensible. When I say I like Roke, I mean I like the character of Roke and what he brings to the story, not Roke the person and Roke the beliefs, because... He believes some really bad stuff. Well, one of the things I really like about him is that he's this quiet, introverted guy. And despite that, he's been able to rise above all these testosterone overdose golds and become a military titan with his brawn, with his, sorry, with his brain instead of his brawn. I mean, you've got guys like Carnus and Daryl running around flexing on each other. And Roke just quietly commands legions of ships and takes over pretty much the whole solar system. And I just find that really compelling. And speaking of Daryl, we really can't ignore the fact that he had a big hand in um, Roke's downfall and his turn. Just think of how many people were hurt or killed because of Daryl's actions that Roke cared for. I mean, Daryl started a war over one heartbreak over EO, and Roke lost Leah and Quinn. And, I mean, we know there's something going on with Tactus there, too. Mustang even warns Daryl after Quinn's death he needs to fix what's broken between him and Roke and he just doesn't. He doesn't really make any attempt. I know people say Roke is a bad friend, but, I mean, look at how Darrow treated him. Darrow hasn't been a very good friend to Roke either. He just did too little too late. And part of that comes from Roke's rigidity and inflexibility and inability to change his worldview. And I really see that kind of as a product of his upbringing. I mean, let's look at all the goals we know and how they were raised in this society. you got Darrow. I mean, he's not as old. He was a red, so obviously he's going to have a different worldview. Mustang, she was raised mainly by Cavix, not her father, and it was stated that Cavix had a much more in line with our moral belief system than all the other goals. Like, 
he taught her the old fables. He kind of taught her to respect low colors, even though a lot of golds wouldn't do that. Then we've got most of the howlers, you know, they were kind of thought of as a lower tier of gold. They were probably made fun of in school, maybe beat up, told they were wusses. So, you know, they're not going to have a lot of faith in society either. Really, the uh, the main the main person that would have a similar upbringing to Roke would be Cassius. And he was taught that, yeah, society's great, we're gold, we're the best. But he did this um, in the confines of a loving family. You know, he was surrounded by cousins and brothers and parents who doted over him. Roke wasn't raised by his parents. His parents were absent. He was raised by tutors that they hired. So he was taught by these people who probably didn't care really for him at all that golds were the best, society was great, and he just there was no feeling given to him when he was growing up. And he kind of just he poured all that into his belief that he was better than everyone else. And all that all that sensitivity that he had, it just made the pain of loss that he felt for people like Leah and Quinn and Tactus just too much to bear. He just couldn't take all this loss that was happening to him in his mind because of what Darrow had done. And it's not necessarily all Darrow's fault, but the way Roke saw it, all these things happened when Darrow was around, so it was his fault. And really, in the end, a lot of people say that Roke maybe took the easy way out by killing himself. But we have to remember that it's stated that Gold didn't believe in the afterlife. They were terrified of death. And it's very clear, reading the last, Roke's last chapter, how scared he was of what he was about to do. But he went through it anyway. And I think he truly did, in some ways, still love Darrow, despite you know, the racism and the backstabbing and supposedly hating what Darrow stood for. He still, in his silly, sad, romantic heart, had some sort of uh, feelings and warmth for Darrow, even up to the end. And I think all that just makes him a really good foil for Darrow as the Reaper. I mean, he's this quiet, methodical, calculating guy, and Darrow's just raw, brutal tenacity. He just smashes through the problems. He doesn't always think them through, even though we wish he should, especially in Iron Gold. And and because of that, his his calculate, calculating this and his being methodical, he, he reminds me a lot of another one of my favorite characters from another series, Stannis from Game of Thrones. Who, if you've read it, he's described in the book as Iron, who would break before he bends because he believes so strongly in what he thinks is right. And I think that's rope to a team. Oh, the voicemail cut him off. You can only do five-minute voicemails. David was... So, of course, he's a Stannis <laughs> Baratheon fan as well. When he said that, I was Stannis the Manus. I am not surprised by that. I like Stannis, though. I like Stannis more than Roke. Stannis is way better in the books than he is on the TV show. Oh, well. Yeah. I only got through two books because the TV show came out. <laughs> Thank you so much, David. You have really, really great points. But I don't know. Should we see what... Aaron from Denver says. Aaron's going to have to do a lot of work to to beat David on this one, I, I think. I hope that she hasn't kicked you out of the house yet. Let's see. <laughs> Let's hear from Aaron. Hi, Ben and Aaron. It's Aaron, other Aaron from uh, Denver. Just calling in with my reasons why Roke is a punk-ass pixie uh, as a response to, uh, to David's call-in. So um, starting off, we're just going to go with, like, my main problem with Roke is, like, his underlying motivation it being that he thinks the society is the best, and he can't see anything beyond that, i.e. he's a space racist. Um, this leads to his downfall in Morningstar, because even though he's, like, the best in space battle, he's unable to deal with the paradigm shift that Darrow creates. And, hey, you want to know a trademark of a pixie dictator? It's actually being unable to understand the people who are who you're, like, supposedly better than. Um, additionally, Roke is not really a great friend. Like, Yes, obviously, Darrow doesn't treat him well either, but, you know, Mustang, Bay of the Universe, uh, totally agree with you there, Aaron, um, tells him, like, again and again, like, Darrow, like, fix the relationship, and he doesn't listen, choosing Severo instead, which, like, low-key, good decision, Darrow, because if Rogue truly was as good of a friend as he, like, said that he is, and he loves him as much as he says, um, he would have forgiven Darrow. Like, you forgive someone who's a true friend, even if they screwed up again and again, and, and they've really kind of messed up your life. Or if you're an adult about it, you would dismiss them out of your life and not, like, plot to ruin them and obliterate them for, I don't know, like, screwing you over a few times. Like, 
get over it, Roke. Um, but anyway, this like goes back to the original issue with Roke is that EA is a inflexible space racist. <laughs> like the whole pretend to be your friend while well, you're actually going to backstab him um, is baseline dishonorable, which is supposedly one of his best characteristics, according to Roke apologists. Like at least be upfront with your feelings, like Ben's boyfriend Cassius, because uh, Roke's duplicity makes him actually kind of suspect and like because people are like, oh, he's so gentle, but not really because he's stone cold killer and actually like kind of rapey too. Because the whole like rogue romance romance characteristic is really um, like annoying to me. Like he's so in love with Leah, and then he's so in love with Quinn, and so in love with Tactus, and then like the pink Amethea, and he's just so betrayed by Darrow because Darrow lets. Aja get away, and then he can't get revenge for Quinn's death, but he seems to move on pretty quickly to the next person. Like, he's not very loyal to his so-called great love, but then he's also kind of a creep for being in love with a pink, and then, like, totally shocked that she betrays him. Like, he can't imagine her not wanting to be with him, which kind of makes him a combined space racist and space misogynist because he only thinks, like, gold women, i.e., like, white women, as real women with, like, thoughts, feelings, and desires of their own. And it kind of just has, like, some major Thomas Jefferson sort of vibe there. Um, I do agree, like, Roke is a really interesting character. I really like that he's an introvert. Um, one of my favorite lines of the whole series is when he's, like, an introvert's greatest plague is an extrovert because... I find that to be very true for my own life, too. Um, and, and Pierce does a really good job of making villains in this moral gray area, and that gives us more um, intellectual discussion that we can have and just more interesting in general. Um, but Roke's inability to see the hypocrisies of the system that he loves so much, or maybe rather that he sees them and he's unwilling to acknowledge his privilege in that system, even amongst other goals, makes him a pixie. Like, the bigger show of character and the more honorable thing is to recognize that you're wrong, you have learning to do, and then you do the work to make those changes. And I think there are a lot of parallels to the moment that we're in right now as people recognize the systemic racism of our society, and we have to decide if we're going to, like, die with honor the rope way, maintaining a system we know is corrupt, or be willing to build a new world. Like, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but we don't say that Hitler died with honor because he killed himself sticking to his beliefs to the end. So why did that become a redeemable characteristic for Roke? And just because we see Roke being treated badly by Darrow doesn't mean that we have to forgive what he was trying to accomplish. If anything, it makes his betrayal worse because we lose all sympathy for Roke, and he knew all of these people on a personal level. Like, he knew them as individuals, and he loved them until he realized that they weren't, like, what he thought and wanted them to be. So he frankly chose really poorly, and I don't know if we can ever really forgive him for that. So uh, thanks for coming to my Roke TED Talk. Uh, Roke is a pixie space racist. I think we can all agree to that. Five-minute timer. Beep, 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 beep. Wow. What a- I just want to point out that... Um, we didn't listen to these beforehand. And Aaron said like everything that we just said about the his pink. Yeah, for I'm sure. I'm like, yes. This was, yes. Except adding in the Thomas Jefferson vibes was hilarious. Yeah, That's shoot down line. those founding fathers. <laughs> so um, That was quite the battle. Quite, I, I hope it's still going. <laughs> Denver is contentious. The voicemail cut off, and then they just then started like, arguing. No, <laughs> I other. heard. I heard what you said. <laughs> Compelling arguments on both sides. I thought. Okay, so we've heard all of the arguments for and against Roke. All of them. We we left a few out. We had a lot. Thank you, everyone who called in or wrote in. If we couldn't read or play your voicemail, I'm sorry, but we just had a lot of people. There's a lot of passion up. around Roke. <laughs> Aaron, Roke, Prime or Pixie? Pixie. Do you want to explain why? Um, I think I've explained a lot during the episode. <laughs> I'm going to go with my namesake, Aaron from Denver. <laughs> Everything that she said. Um, also, I just... Th- Everything I said. I can't forgive him. I think that... He is smart enough to have better morals. You know what I mean? Yep. 
Like, he's well-read. He should know better yeah. than to be a space racist who thinks his pink loves him. You fucking idiot. <laughs> okay, Ben, have you been swayed? Is your, is your judgment primer pixie? Let me tell you, there were some compelling arguments. I particularly enjoyed the argument from Katiana that was like, Roke sees this, you know, rising as this violent, terrible thing that's happened and it's not going to make society any better than it already is. Um, and we've kind of seen that here in the second series. But I do think we're giving Roke too much credit and too much benefit of the doubt, especially when saying if he would have been brought in and trusted by Darrow the reason Darrow didn't pull him in is because he knows Roke and because he's... He knows he's fully space racist. Right. And, he, like, truly believes in the pyramid of society. Exactly. Sorry, I'm arguing again. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, right. And he, like, the reason that he is able to be vulnerable with Severo is because ultimately they know each other. And Darrow feels in that moment, I can trust this person. So his relationship with Severo developed to that point. And Severo clearly doesn't give a fuck about society or anyone else for that matter. He just right. likes his friends. With Roke, he never got to that point. And that speaks to them knowing each other that well. They spent all this time together. They spent years together. Um, there's a reason that Darrow determined that he could not be vulnerable around roke in that same way and to say that if roke would have been brought in earlier that he might have gone along with the rising that i don't believe at all we're giving you know roke way too much benefit of the doubt at that point so my decision roke is a fucking pixie roke out butt sucking fabii <laughs> the pixie all right, you know what it's time for? What are we into this week? Aaron, you go first. <laughs> okay, so full disclosure, I am super into like renovating or not actually physically renovating, but <laughs> thinking of renovating houses. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like gearing up for it. So I've been on a Pinterest and HGTV kick thinking of like my dream house and renovating. Anyways, I digress. I'm super into this show called Good Bones. Good Bones. Good Bones. This house, house has great bones. This house has good bones. It's good bones. <laughs> Not great. It's oh, sorry. <laughs> it's an HGTV show, obviously, but I've, I'm watching it on Hulu. It's a mother-daughter duo. They're both so fucking cute. They're both redheads. Um, it's Mina and Karen. Karen's the mom. She's like the best. She's like the momest of the moms. She's the best mom. Karen is super talented and super hot and is like knocking down walls and shit. You would like this show, Ben. <laughs> 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 but they're, they're super cute. Uh, redheaded duo, powerhouse, mom, daughter, good bones. Ben, what are you into? I'm into a TV show as well. It's called Search Party. It's on HBO Max. I think it started on a different network, but you can watch it on HBO Max. There's three seasons of it. And I think my favorite part about it is it's 22 minutes long. Anyway. Um, you like short shit. I like short shows. Anyway, it's super funny. And it's got like a mystery element. So the premise of the show is like these four New York kind of mid-20s hipster friends are hanging out in New York and they're all kind of just like trying to figure out their lives or whatever. And some lady that they went to college with goes missing. They don't really know her, but they're like Facebook friends with her and they see it online that she's gone missing. And so they decide to solve this mystery and find that girl. And it's kind of hijinks ensues Hi from there. Yeah, and it's just funny. And the main character is Aaliyah Shakwat. She was maybe on Arrested Development, which is just one of the best shows of all time. And, Great show. Uh, her boyfriend, Drew, is probably my favorite character on the show. So check out Search Party. Really good. There's three seasons of it, and they're super fast. And so it's like a very bingeable show for, for quarantine. If you live in the United States, we're still in quarantine. Well, we should be. <laughs> 
<laughs> we deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> so that's uh, Search Party and Good Bones. What are we doing next week? Next week on Howler Pod. That's a really bad drum roll. We are doing The Fathers of the Rising. Fitchner, Dancer, and Quicksilver. Wow. It's going to be a loaded episode. With with fun and hijinks. <laughs> so if you have some opinions on Primer Pixie for Fitchner, Dancer, or Quicksilver, send them on in or call in. To HowlerPod. Don't forget to follow us. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Etsy. That's at HowlerPod. Email us, HowlerPod at gmail.com. Tell us about Fitchner, Dancer, Quicksilver. Who's your favorite daddy? Which daddy? <laughs> Daddies of the rising. Which daddy is the best daddy? <laughs> Leave a voicemail at 1-800-516-1540. Same question. Who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> Find links to all this at HowlerPod.com. Tell a friend about the books. It's still not too late. We still have time. Still have time. Read the books. Tell them about the podcast. Rate and review us. Five stars only. If you don't give us five stars only, we will watch as you are forced to wrap your own razor around your own neck and say a dumbass poem Mm. and then have your head fly off. Yeah, we're going to storm your ship with thousands of obsidians. We have thousands of obsidians <laughs> ready to go, ready to storm your ship. <laughs> your pink will totally betray you, if and you'll have to kill yourself. <laughs> that my mind just went dirty, but if someone didn't know what we were talking about, that, c- that could have all sounded very suggestive. <laughs> and on that note, thank you, Heather, our wise and wonderful <laughs> researcher, for all your hard work researching the characters and their historical sh- connections. And thank you, Howlers. Omnisphere Lupus. Oh. Oh.